Doctrine divides, but Jesus unites. This is a phrase that some of us heard. Uh, I think it was late last year. We were at um, an event, and there was open mic time, and that can always be dangerous. (laughs) Um, And one of the guys got up, and he was sort of a, a traveling evangelist, missionary guy, um, and he had visited the local church that Sunday here in, in the area, and then he got up, and one of his main points was doctrine divides, but Jesus unites. And that's some of why we were there together, a bunch of different churches from Abingdon, from Washington County, to gather together to show that we can agree at least upon Jesus. But in the context, it was said in such a way that it made me think, this guy is trying to say doctrine doesn't matter. That's, that's what I felt him saying, that all you need is Jesus. And while I agree that we need Jesus and that whatever doctrine you have, if it's apart from Jesus or doesn't include Jesus, if Jesus is not the focal point, then yeah, you're, you're missing out. You have not understood it well. But the problem is doctrine is what helps us to understand Jesus rightly. True doctrine, right doctrine, correct doctrine. The thing that we have to be aware of, that they had to be aware of 2,000 years ago, as we look at Acts chapter 20, as Paul is giving his farewell address a speech that was probably indicative not just for what's recorded here for the elders in Ephesus, but also probably for any other church that he left before he was kicked out of town, before he had to leave. He probably said something like this to a lot of the other leaders that he had helped to bring about, a lot of the other churches that he'd helped to plant and establish. He encouraged them to beware of false doctrine. Why, why is doctrine important? Because there is false doctrine. And if there is false doctrine, then that means you need to make sure that you know what the right doctrine is. So while you can say that doctrine divides unilaterally, the truth of the matter is that doctrine ought to be an important aspect of what we consider and what we study and what we know as Christians. Otherwise, we can be led down a myriad of trails that leave us apart from Christ and that lead us astray and that lead others astray. So my contention, as we look at Acts chapter 20, the second half today, and continue our study of the book of Acts, my contention would be that doctrine can unite and it should unite and that it's important for us to understand what good and right true doctrine is and what false doctrine is. So let's look at Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. I'll read through the end of the chapter. And we'll talk about it some more. So Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, this is Paul, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. 
how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to the God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So there are several instances in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 13, chapter 17, here in chapter 20, where you have a, an example speech for Paul. There is so much that Paul did. And we talked about this a little bit last week. There is so much that Paul did that's not included in the book of Acts or that is just like barely alluded to or it's just sort of in between verses that we don't really capture unless we kind of put things together from the epistles that he wrote, from the letters that he wrote to some of the churches, or just from church history, um, that there's, there's just no way, even as, as John says in his gospel, uh, if all the, all the things that Jesus did could be written down, there wouldn't be enough pages and books and libraries in the world that could hold all of the stuff that happened. And so what's written down, John basically is saying what he wrote down for his gospel. What I'm saying is what Luke wrote down for his gospel and for this book of Acts is intended to give us at least just a picture of what happened, of what was going on, of what Paul's ministry was like. And so when it includes his speeches in chapter 13 and chapter 17, chapter 20, you have an example of what it would look like for Paul to preach to the Jews. What would it look like for him to go into the synagogue and say, this is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah who you've been waiting for, who you've been promised. In chapter 17, you have an example amongst the elites, the intellectuals, the Gentiles, Paul going to Athens and him saying, this is the God, the creator of the world. You've not known him. You don't know him right now, but let me proclaim to you what you have been searching for all these years. 
Jesus Christ has come into this world to prove himself to be the Son of God in the flesh and to show that he truly was and that he has power over sin and death. He has been raised from the dead. That's, those are, those are the, the types of speeches that I'm sure he gave over and over again. And some of the, the details that he would expand upon as he taught from house to house, as he preached in the synagogues, as he preached in the hall of Tyrannus, as he talked to people in their market and everywhere else that he went. And here in chapter 20, as I mentioned in the introduction, certainly is an example of what Paul would have said to believers, to churches that he had established. And saying, I don't have any more time with y'all. I mean, he actually ends up writing a letter to the Ephesians, which is a, a great book, a great letter. Things that we can like learn a ton from but until he does that all he has is what he has told them and what he can kind of his last words that he can give to them and say of all the things i've said these are the the high points these are the things that i really think you need to be aware of and to be cautious of that you need to have on the forefront of your mind thinking about constantly because otherwise it's easy for us to slip away into Walking to the left or to the right and not going down the straight and narrow path. Not, not walking the straight line that God has put for us. And so he begins by basically saying, you, you know me. Verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. I, I, I didn't. Start one way and finish another way. I, I, I wasn't false and then true. I wasn't true and then false. I, I was the same guy the entire time. The whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. That's basically Turkey. Where this was, Asia Minor. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. We don't even have recorded for us in the book of Acts what these plots of the Jews were in Ephesus Against Paul. I mean, there are so many things that aren't recorded for us. It's just, it's got to be mind-boggling the fact that he says this and it's not recorded for us what happened to him in Ephesus besides at the very end whenever the mob, you know, basically tries to lynch everybody. There were things that happened that we have no clue of. And even in the midst of all that, the midst of the trials, the midst of the difficulties of the opposition constantly at the door, Paul said, I didn't waver in it all, and I didn't puff myself up to say, look at me and look at how strong I am. And even now, he's not saying that either. He's saying, when I walked in, and when I walked around among you, and when I walked out, it was the same guy. Didn't matter the circumstances that were going on in humility, in tears, in my desire to see you come to Christ and to grow in Christ, that's what I've cared about. And I have been serving the Lord by serving you in humility. And I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying 
not just to one group, not just to another group, but to anybody who would listen and to anybody I can get in front of, Jews and Greeks, the message that I proclaimed was the message of the gospel. And what is, if you had to summarize it in one or two words, what's the message of the gospel? Repentance and faith. There is a God who has designed this world in such a way that it was good, that it was wonderful, that all things he made for us to be able to enjoy and enjoy him and to worship him for the God, the creator that he was. But, you know, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, both in ourselves and outside of ourselves, there was brokenness. We experience brokenness. If, we, if God gives us the eyes to see, we can see it inside of ourselves. It's not just the forces around us that are broken, but it's us. Our own hearts are twisted. Our minds and our eyes and our ears draw us away to all of these other things that are not the worship of the one true God. And then all around us is like, like these... I mean, if you've ever been... In a relationship with anybody else, which we all have, right? I mean, you're in a relationship with me in some capacity. You know, you're listening to me right now. You have experienced someone not being who you thought they were. You have experienced people being rude and arrogant. You have experienced people not listening to you, right? You know, wives, husbands, you know. I mean, we don't always listen. Maybe you didn't grow up in a great house. Maybe your parents weren't the best. Maybe you fought with your brothers and sisters. Maybe you had trouble at school and your teachers weren't great and your classmates were awful. There's brokenness in here and out there, just everywhere. And that's what sin has caused, even though God's design was good and great. And so how, what hope do we have? What's the answer in the midst of all of that brokenness? Well, Paul comes and he, what he declares is he says, repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the hope that we have? It's the gospel. It's that Jesus Christ has done something to to relieve the brokenness that we experience. And it's not always a relief that we experience in the here and now. Sometimes it is. At the least, it is a relief that we are going to experience one day when we see God face to face. It's It's a hope. That nothing else can have for as long as this does. There are all of these temporal, these shallow, limited opportunities for us to have some relief. And all of these other answers that people in the world give for how we can get out of the brokenness. How we can overcome the brokenness in our lives and in the world around us that affects us. And all of these other things that we try to do 
to relieve the pressures of our own selves and of everyone else around us and what we experience that is not rooted in and centered upon Jesus Christ are all just false ways of trying to soothe and put a temporary salve on eternal issues. And so Paul says, look, I've declared to you the truth, repentance and faith. Stop trying to find the answers everywhere else and start looking towards the Lord Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel that he gave himself so that we would might experience freedom and joy and peace, a wholeness back and experience of that good design that God had made originally. How are we going to get back to that design that God made? Well, it's through the gospel. But there are all these other ways that this world says, this is what you should do. This is how you should live. This is what you should believe in order to, to get somewhere better, to improve your experience, your life. And I think that's why he says, and he, he spends so much time saying, Look, you've been able to trust me for years. I've been with you. I've I've not shied away. I've not tried to hide anything from you. I've not secretly gone in and said, yeah, I know I said this, but okay, you know, this is how you really do it. I've not said, you know, hey, learn all these little small prayers and incantations. And if you just do these things this right exact way, you know, I can't say it in front of everybody, but, you know, you're smart enough to know, you know, okay, I, I can trust you with these little nuggets of of truth. No, it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter where you were in life. This is the truth. You deserve to have an opportunity to hear it and to trust it and to live according to it. But there are so many people who are saying, oh no, just, just, just come over here and, and let, me, let me tell you what, I, what, what the truth really is. No, Paul said openly, I, I've declared to you the truth. And, and, and it didn't matter what happened to me. And, and it doesn't matter what's going to continue to happen to me. I am going to do what I can through the grace of God that he has shown to me. And who he's led me to be and where he's led me to go. That I don't care what imprisonments or hardships or anything awaits me. I've endured it all to this point, and I'm going to continue enduring it because the grace of God and the proclamation of the gospel and me serving him is so much beyond what anything else I could do in this life and any joys or, or accolades that I could collect or awards or self-aggrandizing opportunities. It's so worth it to, to forego all that that I just might could know Christ that much more and see him work in me and through me to reach that many more people. That's what I care about. But, but the problem is you need to pay attention because not everyone's like that. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God 
which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Why, why am I saying all this? Because though I know myself to have been genuine, I also live in this world and I see how other people act. I've seen it in the past. I see it right now. And I know it's going to continue to happen that people are deceptive. That people know what is not true and they are going to proclaim it as if it is the truth. People know that they are just after gain for themselves and that's all they care about. And they'll do whatever they need to do to get to that point that they're just going to use you. And you might not be able to see that they are doing that. And so at least hear what I'm saying right now that that's the world we live in. People try to care only for themselves and manipulate situations so that it's all about them and all about what they can get out of the circumstances available around them. And even from, uh, like, this is, it's amazing. Verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. This is like (laughs) Paul's got this group of elders he's talking to. These men he's, you know, sitting at at the docks with or at the beach. And he's giving this farewell address. And he's saying, guys, look out. And he's saying, some of you. Some of you might be the ones who are the ones who, who turn. Like, I can only know you so much. I've only known you for, for so long, but, but I have poured out myself to you. And what you do with that and how you continue to move forward, some of you might, might turn. You might turn against me and not, it's not really just a turning against me. It's a turning against the truth. Turning against the Christ that I have proclaimed, that I have displayed to you as much as has been possible for me to do. It is... It is such... You've got to be willing and ready to pray for your leaders. Like, I, I need you to pray for me because I'm in a position, and, and no matter how small or large it is, doesn't matter if we've got 10 people or 100 people or 1,000 people, Whatever influence that I am able to exert over somebody, I am constantly in a position to abuse that, potentially. I am constantly availing myself of the opportunity to go beyond what it is that the Lord would have me to do. To distort it, to use it for my own gain. And if, 
if you have an, enough self-awareness, I'm sure at some point you have done the same thing for yourself. At, at some point in your life, you have taken advantage of a situation. Uh, I mean, I don't want to call you all sinners in that regard, but I mean, you are sinners. And I mean, I'm a sinner. And so, you know, I mean, most of us in some capacity have tried to, you know, get the most out of a circumstance to benefit us. You know, I mean, I don't want to, you know, project. (laughs) But for someone who is given a position of authority, how much more apt are they to just, oh, I can just take a little more than I was really supposed to. Oh, I can just, you know, uh, slide around these rules. The, the very things sometimes that are meant to be safeguards, to be a fence, are the very things that we can find a crack to, to slip through and say, no, nah, that doesn't pertain to me. Uh, you know, it's good for everybody else, but not for me. Um, I would have been a lot more prepared for this sermon probably if last night um, we were encouraged to watch uh, a documentary on um, some some people in the U.S. who uh, just espouse some level of a prosperity gospel. Um, how they've been sensationalized to say look at how wonderful this family is and look at how they're so wonderful because of their of their beliefs and how it's wow these kids actually behave and there's a million of these kids and 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 so certainly they know what's up they they know the truth their kids wouldn't be acting like this if 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 certainly things weren't completely right in their lives but, you know, the, the whole point of the documentary was, man, there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of awfulness. There, there's a whole lot of wrong that was the foundation of this and was strewn all throughout its existence. There was this, it's just a facade. We want, as, as Americans, as humans... To see that there is a way to do things and to control our own families so that they turn out exactly how we expect them to and want them to. And sometimes we see people and we're able to say, oh, wow, like they've done it. They've they've arrived. They've come to the conclusion that we've been searching for. How can everything be perfect? And they say, we found the answer. This is how it can be perfect. But... When you, when you are able to see it after the fact, when, when you're able to sort of look through some of the things that are happening in the midst of it, and you ask the right questions, and you really get behind the curtain, you're able to see, oh, there's a bunch of false doctrine here. Oh, like they're, they're, they're depending on their obedience instead of on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of all this stuff. They're just hiding their sin instead of being willing to say, look, I'm not perfect, and we're not perfect, but we know a perfect Lord and Savior. Like the focus is pointed at them instead of at Jesus. And it's so unfortunate that 
that exists in this world in America over the last 15 years. This is not, and this is not new stuff. This has been happening. Paul said 2,000 years ago, look, there's people who are going to come around you who are going to try to lead you astray, who are going to say, I know the truth. I know the way to do these things. And all they're going to lead you down is a path of destruction. There are going to be people from among your own selves who are going to arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. To say, don't look at all the things I'm doing wrong, just look at how much I'm doing right. It's sad. It's sad that we have to watch documentaries like that to, to sort of see, oh, wow, like I didn't realize the depth of the depravity of how awful this whole system is. Because it's not always on our radars. We want, we want to think good of people. We want to say, oh, wow, we want people who have figured it out so we can hold them up and say, I just want to be like them. We want a picture that we can emulate. And Paul does what he can to say, be alert. Remember how I've treated you. I've I've not done these things because I have been dependent on the grace of God in the midst of it all. And I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Don't just trust me. Yes, I think you can trust me. Yes, I want you to trust me. But don't just trust me. Like, uh, compare it to, contrast it with the word of God, the word of his grace. It would be so much more difficult, I would think, for them who didn't have all the stuff written down for them. They didn't have the Gospels to go back to. They didn't have the letter to the Ephesians. This, like, Paul's speech is the only letter they have at this point. We've got six chapters where we can go back and say, wow, this is a lot of truth in here. Like, I can understand who God is and how he wants me to live even just in this one book. They don't have that book. They don't have the history of the church in the book of Acts. They have no idea what's going on. All they have at that point is Paul. We have that. And so I think this takes just that much more meaning for us when he says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What ought we to be looking at to know what is the truth? This. We ought, we ought to be looking at his word. Jesus prays in John 17. Lord, sanctify them in the truth. What is truth? Your word is truth. That's what he says. That's what Jesus says. And if his word is truth, if his word is living light upon our darkened eyes, as we sang a few minutes ago, then maybe we should look at his word to know what the truth really is. Maybe we should consider those who give themselves to the study of the word and to listen to them, and, and then even still to, to make sure that we're comparing what they're saying with what the Word actually says. Maybe we should do some work each 
of ourselves to study what true and right doctrine is so that we can know and have at least some basis whenever we hear somebody talking about whether or not what they're saying is accurate and whether we should keep listening to them. So we can have at least small glimpses of, okay, wait a second, I've, I've heard this before. I've, I've been familiar with this. I've, I've seen this in church history where someone started saying these things and it kind of led down to this path of false doctrine. Is that what this person is saying? Because that's what it kind of sounds like. I need to be aware of that. It's hard to do that if you don't put in the time, the energy, the work to know what God has actually said. It's not just for me to do that. I mean, yeah, I ought to be leading in that, but it's not just for me to do. So are are you committed to doing the work of knowing Scripture in such a way that you're built up on a sure foundation so that whenever I get up here and blab on for 30 or 45 minutes, usually more like 45 minutes, that you can be like, yeah, what this guy's saying is good and true. That when you hear a sermon from somebody on the radio, you can say, yeah, what he said aligns with the truth. He's brought some new, new ideas to, to my mind. Let me, let me be like those Searchers in Acts 17, those Bereans who are like, okay, you've said this. This is new to us. I'm not sure. Let me go search it out. Uh, let me find whether or not this lines up with the truth of the Word of God. And he says, all, and all this, like, I, I hope you can trust me because I, I haven't... I haven't asked you really for anything. Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that, that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. Like, I, I didn't expect you to, to provide for me. With my own hands, I provided for myself so that I would offer the gospel free of charge to you. I mean, he doesn't say that just to these Ephesians. He says it a couple different times to different churches. He says, I've worked with my own hands so that you would know that I'm not just in it for the profit. I'm not just in it for the paycheck. I provided my own paycheck. I'd have had a paycheck whether I was ministering to you or not because I was taking care of myself. And I was taking care of other people. I wasn't just doing the minimum to, to be good for me. I was... I was working and giving to others. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, we don't actually have that recorded in the Gospels. Well, that means Jesus never really said it. No, it just means it wasn't recorded. Again, I mean, I said... You know, end of John. John's like, hey, there's millions of books that could have been written. Uh, ain't nobody had time to write all that stuff down. <laughs> we, what we've written down is sufficient. It's good enough. 
We've given you the picture that you need of who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for you. In the midst of it all, the attitude, like, like, do your leaders have the attitude of, I want to be a person who gives instead of just one who receives? Why, I need you to pray for me as a pastor, as your pastor, however it rolls, as just a guy you listen to sometimes. Because I'm, I'm prone, and I, I, I should just speak for myself, and so I will. I'm prone to want to get from people. I, I like receiving things. I mean, as a, as a child, I remember hearing this phrase, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I thought to myself, it's Christmas. I don't care about other people I care about me and the gifts that have my name under the tree on them. I don't know if you were ever like that, but I was like that every single year. I don't care about giving anybody anything else. I want stuff. Okay, there's a bit of my narcissistic attitude. One of the reasons why, you know, I mean, made life so miserable on my parents. Shout out to my parents. My dad always wants me to shout out to him in a sermon. But, you know, it's like the <laughs> all my mom ever asked for for Christmas was for us kids to not fight. <laughs> she never she never got her desire. She never got her wish. Why? Because I was at the forefront of one of those four kids being as selfish as humanly possible. Worried and concerned about me and myself and nobody else. And it's hard to get along with other people when that's all you care about. And I'd rather receive. And I just, it was so hard for me to understand what this phrase makes no sense to me. I love getting things, I love receiving stuff. And, and Paul is like, no, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And even still, I have tendencies to say, but I, I still like getting stuff. I, I still like people doing things for me. It takes work to give. It, it takes thought. And I don't know that I'm ready and willing to do that. And I think sometimes a lot of us get in that mode. Like, I, I, just, I, I just need me time. I, I, I just need, I, I, I need, I, I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want. And, and we, we fail to see the opportunities all around us to expend ourselves for the good of other people, for the glory of God, so that it wouldn't be us who's at the center of it, but it would be the Lord Jesus Christ himself who is in the center. That I am depending on his strength, that I am trusting 
that when he said that, it's more blessed to give than to receive, that it actually is true. And that as a leader, if all I'm ever doing is receiving, then I'm not really a leader. I'm not a biblical leader. I'm not a gospel leader. I'm a, I'm a leader of false doctrine. I am showing you by my example what not to do. And what kind of leader is that? And Paul says, I've, I've lived among you in such a way as to show you that what Jesus himself said is what I have sought to live according to. Trust me. Trust my example. Trust my words. Trust the word of God that I have spoken to you. That you would be built up in such a way that when false doctrine comes, when false teachers come, and they and that false doctrine, those false teachers try to divide, then at that moment, you would be able to stand up and boldly proclaim, no, that's not right. You'd be able to walk away from those people. And to be amongst a, a group of people who are truly seeking to live out their faith biblically, not hiding things, in community, vulnerable with one another, saying, this is, this is where I'm at. This is, this is where my thoughts have been this past week. This is, these are some things that I've done this past week. And positively, like, these are things that the Lord has done through me this week. These are the prayers that have been answered this week. This is, this is what God's been doing in my heart this past week. And we can do that on a regular basis and, and, and pull ourselves together and keep ourselves grounded in the Word of God and in community with one another so that we would then be a light shining in Abingdon and in, the, in Washington County and the Tri-Cities and America and the world, as much as God gives us opportunity, so that His light would shine, so that He would shine, so that Jesus would be the centerpiece of it all, and not some guy who's a great speaker, not not some person who looks good on the outside, not not this facade that we see so often around us if we're if we have the eyes to see, if God gives us the clarity, if the Spirit opens our ears to truly hear Him and and to say, that's just just not right. Look at the results. That doesn't doesn't match. And so my encouragement today, this week, the rest of your life, pray for your leaders. Pray for me. Study. Study the word of God so that you would know what the truth is. You would be able to discern, to know how God wants you to live. Know who he wants you to listen to, who he wants you to be under. And... Lord willing, we'll, we'll have such an experience as, as Paul has when, when it's time for us to part. 
And there was, uh, you kneel down, you pray, there was much weeping. They, they embrace each other. They, they kissed him. They were sorrowful because, wow, like I'm not going to get to experience this anymore. I've loved this so much that, man, this is, this is a loss. This is a painful experience to not have this with you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of a man like Paul who you just turned his life around and given us an example of how to be a leader, of, of how to be a Christian, of, of how to encourage one another, how to serve one another, how to give. God, help us to have that true experience with one another here, even just in our own church, that we would be giving ourselves for the good of the body, that we'd be giving ourselves for the good of another person. And that we would grow in our love for one another so much that if we have to leave each other, if, if God calls us away, if we're done with school and we go off, if, if we get another job, if, if you call us home, that we would miss it. Because that was just a, a piece of your grace that's no longer in our midst. Lord, help us to experience that and to cherish it and to, and to praise you for that work that you give to us and that you afford to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.